We've been talking about being simple by design. So the first week we talked about how we try to keep our church simple by design. Then we talked about, last week Matt talked about sharing your faith and trying to make that more simple than maybe sometimes it seems. And this week we're going to talk about serving and whether or not serving can be simple. But we complicate things, right? Not we, but we people. We complicate things with church structure and different denominations and different ways we interpret different parts of scripture. And we could be like Pharisees where we can add and take away and, and do different things that make things a little more complicated than maybe they should be. So I started thinking when we're trying to simplify service, what are some of the ways outside things outside of the of church, like investing, economics, things like that. How do we learn about those? How do we make those simple? And one of those is books. So I found this book that I want to share with you guys, Christianity for Dummies. <laughs> Great resource, right? So you've seen these four dummies books, right? So turns out there are 334 different four dummies books. And there's ones like stretching for dummies. So maybe that's harder than I'm making it. Or there's quantum physics for dummies. Maybe that's easier than I think it is. There's stuff I can use, like there's your Mac for dummies, your MacBook, knowing how to use your computer more efficiently, which I could probably use. There's, there's quilting and ukulele for dummies, neither of which I'm going to need anytime soon. There's also Wicca and witchcraft for dummies. There are most of the world's religions and followings have a four dummies book. So I wanted to see what the Christianity for dummies book said about Christians. So it really broke it down to six key parts. God loves and wants a relationship with each person. Sin separates us from him. Jesus came to earth, died as a penalty for our sins, rose again three days later. God offers forgiveness to everyone, and whoever accepts it and believes in Jesus receives salvation. Not bad by the four dummies people, right? Like that that, that's, just, that's the gospel, and so there's scriptural support for those things, but how do we do that as a church? We've been talking about that, so how does Journey keep it simple? So there's things that aren't very simple that we do, like the production team does amazing work, so people at home can see what we do here. Hello, people online this morning. They do a great job with that, so that's not simple, but it's helpful. There's the cafe. The folks do a lot of things in the cafe that are, that are really helpful, um, but there's things that aren't very complicated that we do here as well like like you can find a bathroom here we're not so big like it would, in less than three tries you're going to find the bathroom if you go and look for the bathroom here right we're at the end of the road like if you drive by the church your options are woods church you're either in the woods or you're at the church so there's some things that are very simple we try to make availability more simple you can meet the pastors here at journey you through things like Discovering Journey or Coffee with Pastors. There's ways to meet the person that you see on Sundays. So our mission slide, a mission that was uh, put together long before I came to Journey, it says we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. And different parts of that have resonated with me at different times during my time with Journey. So how do we do this? How do we point everyone to absolute hope? We, for a long time, humbly was one that really stuck out for me. So not with hate and judgment, but with love and grace. And why? Because of hope. And to who? Everyone. The person at Harris Teeter, the person that, you've saw, that you dealt with in traffic, the people at work, all of those people. But to me, this, this week really exist stuck out to me quite a bit. So exist in that. 
minus the, the distractions and the world and the flesh and the enemy and all the things that are coming at us. But then our vision, what we want for the people that attend Journey is that we're transformed, that we are transformed people changing our friends' lives by absolute hope. So we exist to show love and grace in the name of hope, and we become transformed as we impact others. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today. And those, the mission and vision, the source verses for those are 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So it says we are a new creation. Do we really believe that? Do we exist in the knowledge that we're a new creation? Do, do we accept it? Do we believe it? And does it show in our actions? Verse 18 says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Christ reconciled us through his death. He restored us. And now we have the ministry, we have the opportunity to share that with others, the ministry of reconciliation. So maybe the four dummies people had it right. It aligns really well with our mission and vision. He wants a relationship, relationship with each person. Hope. Separate, sin separates us, but Jesus came and died for our sins, rose from dead, triumphing over death. Hope. He forgives our sins and offers us salvation. Hope. It aligns with our mission and vision. It goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And when I was thinking, when I think about ambassadors, I think of someone wearing a suit and someone sitting in a meeting and my streak of not wearing a tie is alive and well, and if God wants me to wear a tie, I'll do it, but I'm really trying to keep my no-tie streak going. So when I started thinking about the word ambassador, the definition of ambassador is a representative or a messenger. So just like an ambassador for a country, they're appointed. We're appointed by God to be ambassadors of the gospel. We have authority from him, not our opinions or feelings, but our authority comes from God, and we're called to represent him in this foreign country that we're in. The foreign country not meaning America, but, but meaning the world, like this foreign country that we as believers find ourselves in. And we're called to be messengers, to share the message through our words and, and through our actions, to seek opportunities to do that. I know a guy who uh, spent a good chunk of his life, through his teens and into his 20s, uh, had some addiction problems, uh, was a drug dealer, and he found Christ in his 30s, and now he says he's proud to, proud to proudly call himself a hope dealer. He now deals hope instead of drugs. So how about service? So I'm going to ask you all a question. We're going to do a show of hands, and sometimes when there's a show of hands, three people raise their hand, but let's try to beat that. Your options are, I'm going to tell you the options ahead of time, but it's yes or no. Those are our two options. So if you didn't raise your, for yet, raise your hand for yes or no, there's not a third one. Okay, so yes or no. Is serving simple? If you think it's yes, raise your hand. All right. Does anybody think it's no? Raise your hand. All right. So we're going to talk about that today. And it kind of depends on your definition of what service is, right? John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. He is one another in the mess out of us in these verses, right? Love one another. Others should know who the ambassador is by their love. Not because they're wearing a suit, not because their car has flags on it and they're driving down the street, but they should know we are disciples, ambassadors, because of our love for one another. And it's sometimes not always simple because things can get in the way of that. And I think about barriers that stop us from doing that. And I was thinking about my own personal walk and what are the barriers to me not being willing to serve? How do I miss opportunities to serve? And for me, it really boiled down to, and maybe they're different for you, but for me, there were three things that really stuck out to me as barriers for me in service. One is heart or passion. Like, what is, where is, what am I passionate about? What do I really want to invest in? Because if I'm serving in an area that I'm not passionate about, I'm probably not going to do it for very long. Time and convenience. We just had a series on spiritual discipline, and and we talked to you about, hey, make time for spiritual discipline. Now we're telling you, Mike, you're, make time for service. We all got to quit our jobs. What are we doing? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then feeling inadequate, that voice that tells you you can't. You can't make a difference. You can't do that. You have no business participating in that. So I want to talk about heart or passion first. And a concept that was shared with me a long time ago is what is your holy hurt? What is the thing that weighs on you? What is the thing that you can't stand to not do something about, whether it be a people group or an injustice or some other dark aspect of our world that you feel like you have to do something about? The thing that draws your attention, the thing that makes you want to take action, the, one, the thing that once you know it, you can't not know it. The thing that once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like the world is in one room, and the world's going on and getting lattes in the drive-thru and doing stuff over here. But this other room is on fire and you're the only one that knows about it. What is your holy hurt? So there's a great example of this in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. So Nehemiah was around about 1,000 years after Moses and about 400 years before Christ. The Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the walls. They were persecuting, persecuting the people. So for 70 years, Jerusalem was under Babylonian rule. Nehemiah was 800 miles away in Persia, but he's, Nehemiah was a Jew. He knew his people. He knew what had happened in Jerusalem, but he asked someone, he's, what's happening there? How is Jerusalem doing? And they're like, not good. Not good at all. There's a remnant of people there. There's some people there. But the people were in distress. The gates were burned. The walls are torn down. You know, I think a lot of us have probably had a day like that where you get a, a phone call or a message from someone that changes the trajectory of your day, that demands you take action. So the action Nehemiah took is in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. He said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That instantly became Nehemiah's holy hurt. It was the thing that made him weep and mourn. And so that's our challenge, my challenge to us today. Like, what makes us weep and mourn? What, 
makes us want to fast and pray. And a lot of that reaction depends on where we are spiritually. If I'm, if I'm being honest, my first reaction isn't always to fast and pray. But it was Nehemiah's. That's the example he set for us. Our emotions can take over and guide how we react to things. Our experiences, I've seen that before. I know how that works out. Our experiences can sometimes jade us and, and determine how we react. But once you discover your holy hurt and what that is and what that place you want to step into is, it can change your trajectory. I think about uh, Pat Tillman, who was a linebacker in the NFL and made millions of dollars. 9-11 happened, and he joined the Army and served overseas. When it's your holy hurt, serving there isn't a sacrifice. It's a privilege. So a concept someone shared with me, a mentor of mine, uh, you may have seen this in business as well, those of you that are in that area, but talked about pillars, having pillars. The pillars that are important to you, the areas that service is important to you, your holy hurt, what are those things? So you can spend more time saying yes to those things. Those are easy yeses where other things are harder yeses or maybe no. So it helps you focus on the things that really not just present themselves but, but touch you. So these are my four pillars. So they don't have to be four for you. They could be one. There could be eight. These, these are just mine. One of mine is men. I come from a family with a history of divorce and addiction and abuse, generational patterns of those things. And what I want for men, I'm the first believer in my family, what I want for men, I want to walk alongside them so we can learn together to be better husbands, fathers, and leaders in the name of Christ. Homelessness, I spent a lot of time judging people that were homeless and driving past them. Until Tent City happened, and I spent some time down there getting to know some of them in Charlotte. We had Room in the Inn here a few weeks ago, and we're going to have it again uh, here in a couple weeks. You'll hear more about that at the end of the service. But we had Room in the Inn where we housed homeless folks here. There was a family of four, and then there were four other ladies that stayed here. And we just opened, we opened for Room in the Inn, we opened up our church to be a home overnight and house those unsheltered, our unsheltered neighbors. So there was a family of four and those other four people. They were homeless for five different reasons. None of them were the ones that I assume when I drive by someone. So I can share resources with them. I can share bread for today. I can share hope for today. The other one is children for me. And I haven't heard from my father in 30 years. So I have a heart for children. I've seen, met, and hugged children that have been abused and trafficked. I've seen them in environments that would turn your stomach and it breaks my heart. So we have an opportunity to be father and mother figures to them. In my case, maybe a grandfather figure, the older I get. <laughs> that we could be a safe place for them. That we could show them that God's love supersedes the circumstances that they're in. And the last one is, for me is under-resourced. And this one's fairly new. I've always had food and shelter. I've always had something. To, I've not gone a day without something to eat or a roof over my head, thank, thankfully. It wasn't always good food. My, my grandmother made this meal that she used to make pretty often. It was called ground beef. <laughs> it was made of... Ground beef. 
No spices, no nothing. It was ground beef. And then she made the boxed mashed potatoes that were the same consistency as the gravy. So you're like, is this, this going to need a fork or a straw? Like, what am I going to do with that? So I've had some bad meals. But I've had, I've had meals every day. But I've been exposed to those who don't. And when we were in Honduras, this one little boy, he was found when he was five years old in Honduras, sitting on the curb, drinking a beer. Children's Impact Network, some partners of ours, rescued him, brought him, in, brought him home. They put him in a bedroom. The first time he'd been in a, be a true bedroom, and he slept on the floor because he'd never sleep, slept on a bed before. He didn't know any different. A few exits up the road, exit 35, visited a family a few weeks ago, a, a family of eight, and the kids were eating and sleeping on the floor. You don't have to go to Honduras for that to be the case. So we can offer resources. We can offer dignity and comfort. We can share God's provision that he shared with us. So as you think about pillars, I ask you to think about what yours is. If, even if you leave the day with just one, that's a great first step. And you start with a prayer, like, Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. The second barrier for me was time and convenience. We have work, we have family, we have sports, we have to prepare meals. Some of, some of us, present company excluded, are in the fitness, housework, yard work, all those things. So there's a challenging verse there, and it's Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, Jesus knows we have stuff. Jesus had stuff. Jesus was busy. He still set the example of service for us. So I'm going to show you a picture. I want to see if you guys know who this person is. Does anybody know who this is? This is Marie Kondo. Her title is tidying expert. That's her job. She's a tidying expert. Her net worth is $8 million, which is roughly $8 million more than my net worth. <laughs> we have so much stuff that not only do we need experts to help us with it, we have a show about experts that help us with it. The United States has 23 million storage units. 90% of all the storage units in the world are in the United States. So this is what she does. She takes messes, which could easily be my apartment when my wife met me, and organizes them. You see the before and after pictures. And sometimes this could be, this fir these first pictures can be our faith. They get, it gets cluttered up, right? by our past, our outside influences, the world leaking into what we know about God. Now we have trouble, when it starts getting all cluttered, we, sometimes we have trouble finding the parts of it that we need, the parts he calls us to. And it can represent our schedules too. We have to travel, some, some of us travel for work, kids, school, different emergencies pop up. Like, it could be a mess. And that's important, but how much time do we spend tidying up those cluttered areas, and what would faith and service look like minus the clutter? How much time do we spend doing something that we're called to do, something that we truly love and brings us joy? 
So Marie Kondo does that, but there are companies here locally that do the same thing. There's a journey person, a journeyite, a, a journeysian, that works for a company called Simplicity Organizers. And here's what their website says. I went to their website today. There's a lot of Simplicity Organizers. They got a lot of people doing this. When we let go of the unimportant, we have more time to enjoy the things we love. Side note, I get no royalties from Simplicity Organizers. But when we let go of the things that are important, when we declutter parts of our life, maybe we can have more time for the things that, that we love to do. Making space to do something about our holy hurt, about that thing that we can't stop thinking about, that thing that breaks our heart to see. Being ambassador in a place that needs it. Being ambassador to a person that needs it. There's a military strategist couple thousand years ago and he and he said strategy without tactics so strategy i have a plan but i have no steps towards it is the slowest route to victory if you have an idea but you're not doing things the things you're doing don't align with the strategy you're not gonna achieve victory and he also said tactics without strategy are the noise before defeat so if i have i'm doing a bunch of things but none of them align with my strategy with, with my holy hurt with what with what's on my heart you're not going to get there either. And it's not dissimilar to what Matt talked about the last couple of weeks about having programs instead of steps. So what our good friends at Simplicity Organizers do, they have three steps. They sort, they purge, and they organize. So for us to sort, we look at our time and our availability and our resources, remove what isn't needed, the, the fruitless parts, and then Start including the things that feed your soul. For me, for the purge part, there's a guy here at Journey and I, we share throughout the week, we shared a screenshot of where our screen time is being spent for accountability to each other. We do that several times a week, and that's really helped me purge. Now it's my job to organize around the things that feed my soul. Because it's still Pastor Chris's concept that he mentioned when he was talking about spiritual disciplines. Consider your season to develop your rhythms. A lot of you spoke to me about how this spoke to you during that series. And we have to be realistic with our service, too. Margin is real. Our schedules are real. There's things we have to do, and it takes time to reassess it. And the third barrier, the one I've probably struggled with the most, is feeling inadequate. Self-doubt starts leaking in. The problem seems too big or others will do it. Yep, problem, hate it. Somebody should do something about that. Those are lies the enemy tells you. That you can't make a difference. That you're not an ambassador. But if, but if we're identifying with Christ, if we're aligning with him, if we're abiding in him, those things aren't true. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we believe this, that Christ lives in us, we can live by faith. We are qualified. We are able to share the reason for the hope that we have that First Peter talks about. We can make a difference for the kingdom. So I'm reading a book, I've been reading a book for the last three months, mostly 
because it takes me months to read a book. But it's a book called Disruptive Compassion. And it's by a guy that started the ministry Convoy of Hope. So Convoy of Hope delivers food, millions of pounds of food, all over the world. It's an amazing organization. And he wasn't always doing that, though. He was a reporter. And he went to different parts of the world to report on them, but got exposed to the underworld of prostitution in Detroit. He got exposed to the intense poverty in India. He got exposed to human trafficking in Russia, and he got to see these things, and they became his holy hurts. And as he saw them, he's done what probably everyone in this room has done at one point. I can't do anything about that. I hate it, but I can't do anything about it. And someone told him these words. We stay focused on what we can do, not what we can't. We were never asked to play God. That's his job. We can't do everything. But that can't be an excuse for doing nothing. Mother Teresa says, everyone can do something. The, the enemy's telling us, you can't fix this. And one thing he's right about, you can, we can't fix everything. Jesus tells us to love one another, not play God, not individually end homelessness, not put an end to poverty, not stop abuse and neglect, but to love one another. And as a matter of fact, he told us, take heart because you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. We have to walk confidently in that armed with that knowledge. So you think of what differences we can make as individuals and as the church. So not just journey the church, the church. What differences can we make in these areas and more? So I want to revisit the question we had earlier, but is serving simple? And when you think about that, think of it in, in light of these barriers that we have with our heart and our time, and our self-doubt, does that change your answer? There was a survey uh, that the Barna Group did, and it was multiple churches, and the question was, is your church addressing the needs that face the local community? And here's what it showed. 34% of people said, is very true, yes, they thought they were Somewhat true, 53%. 13%, nope, not very true. My church is not addressing those things. The data also showed that urban churches do a much better job of it than suburban or rural churches. Maybe that's because they see it more. They're exposed to it more. We had someone living in a car in the Target parking lot, and they, people were posting it on social media, People ended up having, making them move out and relocate. There's people living in cars all over Charlotte. So the data implies it isn't simple, but that's not, I don't think that's how the body works. Many parts, one body of the church. We have different life experiences. We have different resources. We have different holy hurts, different opportunities, different circles of influence. So I'm not sure that 100% alignment with everyone in our church feeling that we're meeting all of the needs. I'm not sure that's really the goal because there are countless needs. And we're probably limiting our focus too much if we're all locked into the exact same ones. 
And just like sharing your faith, sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it takes God-given boldness to share your faith. It also takes God-given boldness to serve. The first time I walked into Tent City in Charlotte, I wasn't comfortable. But I had God-given boldness to do that that day. So I started thinking of a visual of what, how we can represent how we're all separately trying to do the same thing together. And I thought of a pyramid, like a three-dimensional pyramid, where we're all going up. So the top is Christ-likeness, and we're all going up at different angles and different speeds. Because that's really how it works. We're, we're not all in lockstep going at the same pace with, with other members of the church, with our husbands, with our wives, with, with our kids. Like We're all at different paces and coming at it at different angles different timelines. We, we have some people in here today that are curious about their faith and are trying to learn more about their faith. We have some people in here today that are getting baptized next week. Amen. Please come back and celebrate that with us next week. We have other people that have spent their life following Christ. And it would be unrealistic to expect all of those different people to ascend at the same rate and at the same angle. But we can fall into the comparison trap sometimes like, that person's doing so much, I can never do all that. Or, I haven't seen that guy do anything. Why isn't he doing anything? We don't know their story. We don't know where they're at. So as we ascend together, we ascend together towards Christ in our individual walks, we look at where in our church, at Journey, where can we serve? And we try to make that as simple as we know how. So I want to share our current partnerships with our away mission. So the Appalachia Service Project, we go to Jonesville, Virginia, and serve people in rural Appalachia. And this past year, we had a group of, I think, nine people go and put siding around someone's house. Someone today is warmer, safer, and drier because a group of people from our church said yes and went to serve them. Pazi Esperanza, the partnership we have in Peru where we serve child, uh, w girls that have gone through horrible circumstances. We go there to serve them, and we just happen to have somebody with us that knew a lot about electricity. The electricity went out. That brother was there, divine appointment, able to address it. We help provide resources for a roof to go over and house people. We help cover rent for a young couple that was really struggling, just separate from the trip, just God-given provision. Children's Impact Network, our partnership with orphans in Honduras, where Miguel was that I told you about earlier. We brought bags of food, two, a week's worth of food to people, these 40-pound bags. We bring this food to them, to these families, and they're multi-generational people, families in, the, in these households. And one lady, elderly lady, asked me to bring the bag of food into the kitchen for her. So I brought it in, dirt floor, kitchen, set it on her counter, and she said, can you open it for me? So I open it. And I'm taking things out, rice, beans, coffee, I'm taking these things out. She is clapping and smiling with every item. Last time you went to Costco, were you like, shells and cheese, come on. <laughs> you weren't. I wasn't. I'll tear up some shells and cheese, though. But we made a difference there. We also sponsored three kids there that have ongoing relationships with folks here at Journey. The Kilgoris Project, we didn't get to go this year. We are going next year. But the Kilgoris Project, we had enough funds here at Journey, enough people gave to be able to sponsor a classroom for a year. The, all the supplies, the teacher salary, everything. Kids are in a classroom for an entire year because of the generosity of the people in this church. 
And all those stories not, don't even mention the transformation of the people that came back, the people that said yes, that went and came back different because of the experience that they had there. So locally, what can we do? We have a lot of local partnerships as well. Room in the Inn, which I mentioned, that we're, we're doing that again here the evening of February 23rd, and there's lots of opportunities to sign up and contribute there, but I heard a sermon one time where someone said they were driving past and saw someone standing outside in the cold and said, that person needs a jacket. And the person in the car with them said, and you have it in your closet. How often do we look at it like that? I'll tell you how often. A few weeks ago, here at Room in the Inn, there was a woman who we offered to do their laundry when we do Room in the Inn. The woman couldn't offer us any laundry because all the clothes she had was on her back. She's from Venezuela. She's not used to it being this cold. It was in the 20s that day. Someone from Journey took her coat off, gave it to her, and the woman danced right here in our hallway because someone here gave them the jacket off her back. That's what making a difference looks like. When we do Watchmen of the Streets, which we're going in as a church in April, when we, when we do Watchmen, you can make a lot of assumptions about homelessness, but when you give someone a sleeping bag or a tent or a meal on a day that they started with none of those things, that's making a difference. Yesterday, there was a single mom that we found out through some people here at Journey that she had a need in her backyard. Nine people said yes after two reschedules because of weather. Nine people said yes and went there and made a huge difference in her yard. The before and after pictures are HGTV-like, right? But in addition to that, that single mom had them write their names on rocks and put them in her Ebenezer jar so she could pray for the people that served her. Blessed us when we were trying to bless her. Beautiful. Last year during Serve Day, so every Memorial Day weekend, nope, Labor Day weekend on Serve Day, we serve the community. We don't meet here, we serve. So last year we prepared some garden beds over at Torrance Creek Elementary. And this spring there's going to be gardens. The kids are going to learn about how to grow their own food in the work we did last year. Another thing that just kind of happened organically. So someone here at Journey called me one time and said, hey, I have two twin box springs. Do you need them? I was like, no, because that's dumb. Nobody needs two twin box springs. An hour later, someone texted me and said, hey, I have two twin mattresses. Do you need them? Maybe I do. <laughs> Four hours later, Pastor Victor, who has a Spanish-speaking church in Huntington Green, a, a neighborhood just about four miles from here, he says, hey, a new family just moved into this trailer. There's a set of twins. They're sharing a bed. Do you have two twin beds? By the grace of God, by the provision of God, yes, I do. So I want to show you guys a slide. This is something called repurpose. So under Hope Lake Norman is something Journey does that, that takes care of the care packs out front, we also, several years ago, there was an arm of that called repurpose. And repurpose was getting things from people that have them that don't want them anymore to people that need them. And this has been happening here. There's people in this room right now that have donated washers, couches, beds. Someone here that's here today, he and I went and put a bed together in someone's house, someone that did not have a bed the day before. Someone's washing clothes today because of the generosity of someone here. Visited a house a couple weeks ago off of Harris Boulevard, a trailer. 
There was a mother, her six-month-old baby, and her five-year-old son. It was 56 degrees in their trailer. Because of generosity, because of repurpose happening on accident, because I didn't even know it was a thing, that there's a heater in that trailer today, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. So serving, I don't think it's as difficult as we tend to believe. Someone asked me a long time ago, not about Journey, but the church I was at, said, if our church was gone, would anybody notice? So I asked myself that, if Journey was gone, would anybody notice? And I'm super proud to say, yeah, I think they would. There's also more opportunities we can make, we could do more, for sure. But for the size of church we are, we do a lot. There are a lot of servant hearts in this church that we've been able to unleash on the kingdom, and I absolutely love being a part of that. But this isn't an exhaustive list. There are other needs out there. These are the things we're tied to, and like I said, for a church we're size, it's pretty remarkable. But there are other things. So maybe you, as you're sitting here, you, a holy hurt hit you. There's something that you wanted to do something about, but have not taken a step towards, or maybe not taken a step, step towards in a long time. What Let's talk about that. Maybe we can't do it as the body of the church, but maybe we can help you get connected because we want you to do things for the kingdom, not just for journey. Don't help. Don't always align with our initiatives, but help us. Let us help you find your initiative and support you in it. So I was in a, a sales environment for several years, and it was it was a rough environment. It was more of a frat house than an organization. And a group of us had agreed to not fall into that and, and started a Bible study. So we had a conference call, Bible study, pre-Zoom. We had a conference call, Bible study that we would do. And it was called The Light. And our read-along verses this morning are Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. So it's not going to be on the screen, so I'm going to ask you to uh, grab a Bible, uh, use your app. It, all the verses that we're talking about today are on this scripture card that we have here. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What does it mean to let your light shine? Here's what I think it means. A combination of our mission and vision statements, to be transformed people that humbly point everyone to absolute hope so that may, they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we gather here today, we ask you both individually and collectively as a church to, to break our heart for what breaks yours, Father. That, that you protect us from the lies of the enemy that, that tells us that we can't make a difference, that tells us that we don't have the time, that, that tells us that there's not anything in our heart. There aren't experiences, there aren't things that we're drawn to, Father. We, we pray against those right now. We ask that you transform us so that we are disciples, so that we are ambassadors, so that we are a light, and that we both cling to 
and share the absolute hope that only comes from you. In your name we pray. Amen.